The NBA has relaxed some of its restrictions on team sponsorships, hoping to get more revenue flowing into the pipeline during this problematic time. Our NBA writer John Lombardo will join assistant managing editor Ted Keith and I to talk about that story. Then we'll dive into a package we have this week looking at the sponsorship landscape around sports betting for teams in all four leagues. And we'll hear from executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor. All that and whatever else comes up once we get talking here in the newsroom of Sports Business Journal. I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. We have a lot to cover today, so we're going to jump right into it with our NBA writer, John Lombardo, and assistant managing editor, Ted Keith. John, you have news this week about the NBA opening up sponsor categories and assets within categories, uh, loosening up those quite a bit, obviously, in response to teams bleeding revenue and and the expectation that revenue will be way down again for, for next season, perhaps worse next season than this season because there won't be that bubble to salvage things. Tell us a little bit about that. What uh, What's changing here? What, uh, what, are most, what are the most important or key changes? Well, they're, they're giving teams, the league is giving teams more sponsorship inventory and pretty high profile inventory at that to drive revenue, to increase revenue because of this season's shortfall and expected challenges next season, whenever it starts and however, whatever form it's going to take. So what the league did was they are giving teams the right to sell the baseline aprons right in front of the baskets. They have already, they had, you can, as you probably can see, they have brands in front of the team benches on those aprons, but now they're going to let teams sell the baseline aprons, which is a very high, highly visible piece of inventory. And it's a nice piece of new business for, for teams as they look to drive revenue. So there's, there, there's one major shift. They're also going to be, and this is a little bit in the weeds, but the league has started a international team marketing program where teams can sell global sponsorships when in the past they couldn't. So instead of having the right to sell two global deals to brands, they can sell three. And that's another significant piece of business, right? So they can sell to brands overseas. They can use, you know, team marks. Teams have been clamoring for this business for a while because it's valuable and the the global reach of the NBA is so broad and it's just a really good play. So that's a, it's a, they're entering year two of a three-year pilot program. And it's another big piece of, of business for the teams to sell and, and cash in on. In addition, Bill, and this goes along to your betting world, they're going to loosen categories around the hard alcohol casino sports betting uh, categories. There's been some, you know, there's restrictions on how teams can sell that. They're going to open that up a little bit, give more latitude. There'll be, you know, increased signage. Teams can use mar- or brands can use marks, so it makes that category more valuable. And finally, they're going to allow teams to use some, you know, digital second screen stuff during games. Like for example, if you're on your tablet or your, your phone when you're watching a game locally, you'll be able to, whether it's through the team website or the team app, interact and maybe watch the halftime act in the arena live, you know, that's being streamed to your tablet or device. And the hope and, and, and other programming during like quarter breaks or things like that, interviews with legends, it's just another a, a second string digital product that you can sell branding to. And that's another thing that they can go out in the market and sell. So these are all things that are really the team see as, as, as ways to drive sponsorship revenue. That's so critical given the you know, financial strain from the pandemic. 
And I think it, it, it just shows a willingness for the league to you know, be kind of innovative in terms of how they're looking at their sponsorship. They have to. Teams have been very vocal in trying to get this type of inventory. So given the, given the, 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 the fiscal issues that are going to probably confront the league again, it just makes sense for them to be innovative and open up these categories for them. The, this is, a lot of this is stuff that teams have been pushing for for a while. Correct. It's it it's it's obvious why the league would, you know, say, okay, you look, you, you guys are running a lot of red ink here. We gotta we gotta loosen up, loosen this up, and let you and, and let you do something. What was the pushback from the league before? Because certainly, lots of teams wanted that. They wanted as much international as they could. You know, yeah. Think about the international thing, and we can talk more about this. But I know initially, you know, some th- there was that thought. You think about across the broad portfolio of teams, you would think maybe there's only a handful, almost only the highest profile of teams would be attractive internationally. But the fact is, is, is that all of a sudden, you know, in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks might be attractive in, I don't know, Greece. Um, and so there are those pieces in there, right? That's That's been part of an emerging and changing sponsorship world. So what's the pushback against those teams been from the league standpoint? Is that stuff that they really wanted to sell more the NBA brand rather than individual team brands what what's it been yeah exactly the league wants to you know they want to be very judicious in how they're expanding this and so you know they control the international branding efforts and so they're ceding control from a league level to a team level right to give them more inventory which is fairly progressive i suppose um you know before the league was very protective and especially when it came to you know hard alcohol and sports betting and casinos you know the league was very protective in how it looked uh, you know, within the arenas and, and, and how they package the, the sponsorships, you know, being protective of, of the NBA brand. You know, you wouldn't see, you know, a lot of casino or betting or hard alcohol signage around the player benches, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. It, it, they, so they're, they're, they had to move, you know, pretty fairly cautiously to protect, you know, being very mindful of protecting the NBA brand and how it looks and how it, and how it's packaged with these, with these categories. But, you know, as, as, as time kind of rolls on and the demand and the push for more revenue increases, they've loosened up and opened things up a little bit more. And, and you know, it wasn't just as if the, the league just deemed this. The league asked teams what they would want, you know, they, during these, you know, over the last few months. What would make sense? What would work? And it, it was – so they asked the teams what they thought would be best in terms of new inventory, and this is what they settled on. And, Bill, there's also other stuff. You might they're, – they're, they're discussing, you know, some more apparel branding you know, shooting shirt stuff. Nothing's been decided, but they're taking a look at maybe putting, you know, corporate logos on shooting shirts. You know, they've already uh, approved a, a, a big belly patch on practice jerseys, you know. So there's other things that are also in the works as they look to, to continue to, to open things up to drive the revenue. I want to bring in Ted. Ted. Yeah, John, I got a question for you. This might be a little bit uh, further afield for you than just the NBA beat, but it, the NBA, as we've talked about a lot in the last couple of years, is such a leader uh, in so many different ways that other leagues seem to take their cue uh, from what the NBA does, and they're the first ones through the wall, and, and then everyone goes, yeah, well, that looks good, we'll do that. So I, I know you don't cover you know, the NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, Major League Soccer, but, you know, baseball did things like experimenting with virtual signage in locations that they had never done before. Uh, Football was big into the TARP advertising. You know, maybe no one has inventory that's quite the same as, like, aprons under the basket, which are on camera basically the entire uh, time. 
But, you know, could you see this becoming not just a one-off for basketball to try and recoup some of these losses? So I guess it's really two parts. One, I mean, these adjustments will last beyond whatever, you know, short-term time period is needed in order for NBA teams to make up the shortfall. But then could you also see uh, other leagues getting creative and selling inventory that they had previously been resistant to in order to make up these same shortfalls that are due to the lack of particularly fans and, and related uh, gate receipt type items? No question, Ted. And it's already happening. Like, for example, when the league rolled out this international team marketing program, the NFL has adopted some, a, a somewhat similar type of effort you know, since they did that. So you're starting to see this already happening. And I, I can't imagine that, you know, depending on how successful these and how much revenue is, is, is derived, that other properties aren't going to jump on and, and taking a cue from, from the NBA as they've done in the past so many times. Yeah, they're different and there's different looks and fields and, and, and arenas, but, you know, every property is looking to, to drive revenue, not just to make up for a shortfall, but these are just long-term plays and they see some big value. There's, I, I can't imagine that other leagues wouldn't see how successful or what the NBA did well in terms of this inventory. And, and, you know, take the same playbook. Yeah. In this case, I think actually some of the other leagues have been more aggressive. Um, you know, I think the, that certainly the NHL, um, now, now again, it's, we're talking about two different things here uh, because the NBA does have an official data package that is valuable. Uh, the NHL does not have an official data package that is valuable. And so tying things to that is a very different equation for the NBA than it is for the NHL. It's a lot. E- it was a lot easier before the NHL had puck and player tracking for them to say, well, we're not going to require official data. Well, that official data wasn't, there was no in-play betting market there is for the NBA. So those things are going to, are going to vary. Um, but, uh, but the NBA, when I talked to sports books, the NBA was not at the top of anyone's list in terms of the, what the teams were able to do. They actually had some restrictions and I suspect that it's a similar situation with, with hard alcohol and, and, uh, you know, and the casino category, you know, those brands want to be treated the way other sponsors are treated. And so when they think about, well, if I want to run a promotion and I'm going to go to the team and the team says it's a great idea, and then we go to the league and the league says, yes, 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 but no, 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 is it worth it? And that is part of the equation when you look at team sponsor deals um, across sports, the uh, the ones you know the the ones that offer um, more assets are are easier to sell. And so that's an, that that's going to be interesting, you know, to 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 see how this might impact that. Um, and we can talk more about that, but uh, in, in a bit, because I don't want to drive us all the way off the tracks and into sports betting. You know, I have a tendency to do that. Uh, so, but I'm also intrigued that that international TV piece, John, is the teams already had what two brands each? Is that what you said? <clears throat> Are those generally? filled occupied is this is that third going to be valuable to a lot of teams a few teams is this you know what how important is that to the individual teams or is it just going to be a handful that have that kind of a market no it's it's important to all of them i mean clearly the big brands will have maybe a quicker success in in getting deals in place but it's all of them are valuable they had you know they have they can have two deals getting three that's a lot i mean those are you know, these are going to be, these are deals that are, are global deals, you know, using, you know, team marks overseas with, with these big global brands. And also, Bill, you're able to package that global inventory into a really large integrated deal, like a, maybe a, a new naming rights deal. They can take, they can take one of them. So it adds value to those 
huge deals that, you know, the biggest deals that teams have, like a naming right or a practice or, or a jersey patch, right? So if you're a jersey patch sponsor, you, you can be one of those teams that also has a global rights. So it extends the value of your biggest spenders, your biggest brands who are spending with the team. And you can you can take that the international placement that you have and apply that to those big sponsors. So it's, they're, they're real valuable. I mean, you, you know, for example, your practice patch, I mean, you have a, you have a, you have a practice patch, you have the, the, the Jersey patch, and then you can also have the international, one of the international slots for the branding. That's really valuable for a global company. So John, you mentioned earlier that they, there are conversations about, you know, what would you guys find to be most valuable? What do you imagine or what do you know some of the other suggestions would be, even if they weren't acted upon right now? I mean, this is a lot of new inventory and I'm sure they'll, they'll do well with it. But what's still out there that would be their next move, you would think, if they need to go further? I mean, every year you mentioned the jersey patches getting bigger on practice jerseys. You know, the Dallas Mavericks just, I think, got an entitlement on their practice arena. Uh, I'm sure there are no shortage of ideas that, that the team reps could come up with. Uh, so what do you think is, what, what are some of the ones that maybe they didn't get to this time, but they have their eye on and the league might be receptive to in the relatively short term? Um, they're discussing a patch on shooting shirts, warm-ups in arena before games. They're, you know, they, that, that's something that they are definitely talking about. It's putting more brands on apparel that is going to be very visible from, from a TV and, and, and uh, standpoint. So, if, you know, before the game, you're, you have your shooting shirt, you can put a brand on that shooting shirt. Okay, that's, that's really valuable exposure. Maybe even, and this is more complicated, and it's going to take a lot more talk, is a second patch, secondary jersey patch. That's what teams are, and people are discussing. They, you know, of course, like I said, no decisions have been made on that, but that's the that's what's being discussed and kicked around and seeing how it could work, um, and that's real valuable. And I think that's something that they definitely see as, as something that would be a, a good addition to what they have. They don't want to go overboard from the apparel standpoint, but it's also the most valuable. So I think you will see more discussion around apparel. Uh, logo and, and putting logos on more NBA apparel. It's more visible. Guys, for, for, for both of you, around certain sports, you hear the word clutter. Um, NASCAR for years, you know, when they would go into a room to negotiate with a sponsor that dealt with other properties, one of the things they would hear was, well, the clutter is a concern. We don't want to be out there with 20 other brands. You know, we don't, we, we don't, it's just too much. It's, it's too much. And to the point that people would actually refer to expansion of brands and additions of brands in a sports is saying like, that's, that's, that's like, you guys are getting like NASCAR, right? Um, so does, is clutter at all a concern anymore? Has the marketing world changed to the point that that's not the same concern? Uh, or is this just sort of desperation breeding invention and uh, they'll deal with the clutter? What do, what do each of you guys think? I think, yeah, there's, go, I think there's been a, um, a sense of, of acceptance of how much more, at least in the NBA, how much more branding is on the court and in the arena. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago, Bill, there was no branding on player on the aprons from the player benches. That was a significant move. The Jersey patches was at the time when they did it a few years ago was certainly you know, revolutionary in from, in from the big four leagues. Oh, the sky was big falling. Four. Right. And it's been accepted and maybe there'll even be a second one. So there's been a gradual acceptance. And, and, and I think, but I do think there is a line of, of 
you know, protecting the look and feel of what the court looks like, you know, not only in the arena, but on television, not to make it too cluttered. But Bill, look, look what they did with the virtual stuff from the bubble. I mean, there was a lot of advertising. It didn't, it didn't really cause a, a, a major ripple, I don't think, in terms of how it looked and, and, and all that. So I think there's just been a, a general acceptance of, of more branding around, around it. Yeah, you know, to me, I think it's a good question, Bill. It's they're finding that fans really don't care that much. And Terry Lefton had an interesting column a couple of weeks ago where he revisited the infamous Spider-Man controversy <laughs> of putting the the Spider-Man logo on Major League bases in advance of a movie. And there was this huge outcry, and they pulled it. And in the last, I think that was 2004, so the last 16 years, look at how much has changed. I mean, it, you don't even assume anymore that an arena, for example, is going to get anything other than corporate branding. That used to be like, oh, well, they're going to do that because they kind of have to or whatever. Now it's just an expectation. There's jersey patches on Major League Baseball jerseys in addition to NBA jerseys in the skies and falling. College teams are putting, you know, are making logos plenty visible on the front of their uh, jerseys in a way that turned purists off, you know, as recently as 15 or 20 years ago. So it's this subtle encroachment. So if you're talking about is clutter going to be a problem in the short term, no, because I think that the line will be held, but it will continually move. I don't think that, you know, the New York Knicks are suddenly going to start looking like a NASCAR truck. But in 50 years, what's it going to look like? Who knows? I mean, what people I think have found is they're willing to accept a lot in order to watch their games. And what I think has come out of this pandemic in particular, that I hope people are finding out by reading, you know, Sports Business Journal and all that who might not otherwise, is that this stuff is pretty important to making the games play the way that the fans want to see them. In other words, you know, you want to have games at all, there's going to be signage. There's going to be advertising and maybe in places that you don't like, but it's going to help teams be able to put a product on the field that you want to see. So if you can, you know, train your eyes to not look at the, you know, the tarp ad, the, you know, the, the sponsors want you to look at it, but the fans aren't going to watch or not watch a game because of a tarp ad in an NFL stadium. They're just not, that's not a factor for them. So if it makes the sponsors happy, if it delivers revenue that goes to the teams that they can then put into the product on the field, then there's no problem. I mean, marketers are going to want to market as much as they can, right? Teams are going to be a little bit concerned about what will this look like? What will our, you know, the other side of our revenue generating supporters feel, which is the fans. And then the fans aren't really going to care at all unless, like I said, it's too dramatic, too much all at once. But if it continues to be a subtle advancement like it has been, we could very well wake up in 20 years and see twice as much advertising all over the place as we do right now. I mean, what, you know, John could speak to this better than I can, but the uh, NBA Finals logo at Center Court presented by YouTube TV, that was a first, was it not? And no one blinked an eye. And you could say they were able to do that in that location on the court because it wasn't held in an individual team's arena. And so they weren't putting, you know, the Dallas Mavericks logo, Boston Celtics, or in this case, you know, the Lakers and the Heat. But I didn't hear anyone saying, oh, I can't watch the NBA Finals because I'm tired of looking at the presented by YouTube TV logo. I was watching the NBA Finals on YouTube TV, and I didn't even care about it. So uh, I don't know, that's sort of my take on the whole situation. I would agree. And, and But you know, it's, it's interesting, again, mentioned it before. There are those categories that have been treated a little bit differently. And, uh, and, and so you see a little bit of a relaxing, in this case with the NBA, particularly as it applies, I wanted to talk about, to, to sports books. We had a... We took a look across uh, the landscape today, across the uh, or, or in this week's issue, across the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball, and actually counted up. You know the deals. What what's out there? What's gone on? 
it comes along in drips and drabs. It seems like almost about every third day we're reporting a, a, a new sports book deal. And what does it all look like? Well, what it looks like now is we, you know, we've there's there's uh, 22 teams uh, with 33 deals. Now we're talking very specifically there. We're talking about in legalized states for sports betting. So that doesn't include if FanDuel, if in a legalized, if in a state that isn't legalized yet, New York, um, if FanDuel has a New York deal, FanDuel Sportsbook even has a, a deal with a with a New York property um, for sports betting. You know, uh, because they want to they want to advertise because they know that all those New Yorkers are driving across the river to New Jersey uh, or taking the train. Um, we didn't count that. Uh, if a casino has a deal, uh, you know, MGM Casino has a deal. Uh, with a team. We didn't count that. These are specifically BetMGM, for example, a sportsbook deal. And just doing that, restricting it that way, you've got 22 teams with 33 deals. And interestingly, the NFL, the last one to open it up um, to teams has the most, or teams have 15 deals. The NBA, six, MLB, the NHL, nine. Now, again, if you ask the NHL how many deals there are with how many teams have deals, they would say about twice that many. Um, but they're not defining it quite the way that we did. We're talking about sports book deals in states where it's legal, people promoting uh, to get to teams' fan bases, to get them to sign up and register and then bet on their sites very specifically. Um, that has something that has gone a little slowly with the NBA because of some of those restrictions before. It's interesting, John, right? Because I think the perception across sports probably is that the NBA has been so aggressive on this. Certainly, they've done a lot. They've done a lot at the league level, not a lot at the team level. Right. They No question. And I think because of these easing of the restrictions, you're going to see a lot more activity, um, especially. And, and by the way, these these this stuff's effective immediately, you know, so they can start turning around and, you know, going to these brands in those categories and start making these deals. So, but I would imagine you're going to see more in the NBA because of these, these easing of the restrictions. And, and I'll ask you, Bill, I mean, is it a surprise that there's more brands with the NFL, you know, because I mean, these casinos and sports betting operators, they, that's where they want to be, right? That's a big part of it. Timing is also a big part of it. You know, some of this, you know, Colorado has been really active, um, and that's a sport that opened up right before football season. Um, and so that is certainly a contributor. Um, Nashville, uh, you know, it, the uh, the Titans, uh, Tennessee is just opening. As it, Some of it is timing. As If states are opening around that time where a season is up and running, that's a great place to be. Even if you can't do all the things you would do in stadium because of a pandemic, getting that brand visibility – um, fishing where the fish are, being where the fans are, the most avid fans are watching those that that home team's games. And so all of that is really important. And that timed out really well in some of those markets for, you know, for for the NFL teams. Um, also, again, everybody was waiting to get into the NFL. And, and a lot of this is driven, you, you look at BetMGM. BetMGM has six deals in place. Five of them are with NFL teams. More to come, I'm sure. Uh, points bet. Um, you know, has six bet six in place. William Hill uh, has has uh, six in place, um, and and so the DraftKings I think has five. Um, and so w- when you look at it, it's 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 been this core of of companies, and the NFL was what was there that they could get up and rolling right now, whereas arenas are not open right now, and so a lot harder to you know, to necessarily build your activation. And again, you had the pause and you had all those things and then you open up and all you have is the playoffs. And so for a sports book, that was all kind of, you know, tough stuff to deal with as well. 
you know, Bill, it seems to me, you know, just to pull it back a little bit, you know, the, the similarity between, you know, John's story in this week's issue, your story in this week's issue is how quickly these things uh, can develop and grow into categories that did not exist before. And there's really no better example than betting, which for years was, you know, illegal or frowned upon with the most serious uh disregard by almost uh, the entire sporting establishment and two years two and a half years after a supreme court ruling it's grown i, I don't know you would know better and I'd, I'd like your take on this whether it's grown even faster than you would have expected slower whatever but the growth has been undeniable and it's resulted in all of these new opportunities for teams you know for leagues for states there doesn't seem to be any end in sight and so it, it Seems to be another example, like we were talking about with encroaching marketing and what has been the reaction to it. You know, from what I can tell, mostly from reading you know, the stuff that you do, because um, I don't do any gambling myself, but um, it seems like everybody has decided, you know what, this is working out okay. Let's do more of this. And I don't, you know, maybe we didn't have to worry as much about all this stuff as we did for so long. And let's find new categories. Let's get every team involved as soon as they pass in the state. I mean, as soon as states are approving this stuff, it's taking what five minutes or less for uh, for brands, whether it's sports books or you know DFS or whatever, to try and find their way into the market in those places, right? Yeah, that's right. And and again, it's 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 a super valuable time for a sports book. You look at what's gone on in Illinois. Uh, it is it is perhaps the best example because there's a situation where there's there's something called in person registration, which is to say that you can bet online, you can bet on mobile, you can use your phone in Illinois was the plan, but you would have to go into a sports book in order to register. You would go in, you would get identified, you'd you know you'd, you'd open your account there, you would fund your account there, and then you can go home and bet from anywhere. But you had to walk into that sports book, and that was put in place uh, because in Illinois they wanted to try and politically. They were boxing out uh, the, those companies that were going to come in from outside, and they wanted to give sort of a most favored nation status to those casinos that were already in the state. And that's gone on in other states as well. In states that already had casinos, that's what you see. In states that already had racetracks, those are the lobbyists that have been dealing with the legislature legislature for years, and they're already in. That's where they could argue they're going to create the most jobs. There's a lot of pieces there that were reasons for that to happen. And then along comes a pandemic, and asking someone to walk into a place to sign up maybe didn't seem like a great idea. And so the governor created these windows where you could sign up online. Well, you think about it. If you're DraftKings, if you're FanDuel, if you're points bet, this becomes a crucial time. Rush Street, you know, which is which is Bet Rivers, thought that they would have this great advantage because people would walk in and they were open first and they were the first ones to roll out a website and they had about 85% of the market. And that is not even slowly. That is quickly ebbing away as FanDuel and DraftKings come in and they can sign people up. There's a great race. You, you look at the Cubs and you look at that deal with Wrigley Field and when it got announced and it, it was just right at the end of the baseball season, there wasn't a lot of time for them to make hay. But what there was was a window that they knew that they could do that they could get online signups and they wanted that brand bomb at that time and that's what they got. So that's you know timing has become really really important in these key states as they roll out. There's a huge first mover advantage. We've seen that in every market. Those brands that are in first and the other ones catch up. MGM is catching up um, you know in every market where they play. But they're doing better in the ones that they opened up early. And so all those things come into play. Last thing that I wanted to touch on, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm going on for a bit here, but, but Ted, you brought up a really interesting point when you talked about the swing in the way that the sports industry views this. 
What changed there is 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 your mobile device. That's what changed all this. You know that there it was always positioned as betting is bad. Well, somebody else making money off of betting maybe was what was bad. And so once this became exactly. something that people were going to do on their mobile devices, I, I didn't want someone going off to watch a game in a sports book and bet with someone else and I don't get a piece of anything um, other than maybe the advertising. I, I wanted something that had more direct value to me like they do now with the data that they're selling and like they do with the sponsorships. And, and all of that has come about because again, getting people, you know, the casino category was one thing. The sports book category is entirely another, again, because it's mobile and it's going to be so many more people and it's going to be 24 seven. And all those things really changed what this is as a business opportunity. That's what changed. It wasn't about point shaving and all that other stuff. It, it just wasn't. It was about business and the business changed. That's a great point. I totally agree. So anyway, that was a whole bunch, but but there's a whole bunch going on. John, you're actually you're there living in Chicago. What how how much sports betting are you seeing and hearing? I, I maybe even doing, but certainly seeing and hearing. Well, I'm not doing much personally. None at all, actually. But I'll tell you, Bill, you make touch on a great point. Having those windows to sign up without having to go to any brick and mortar here in Illinois, that's been huge. I've talked to people, they wouldn't want to be bothered to go and actually have to sign up and register and give information, but being able to do it on the, on their phone, has been the biggest difference maker in the world. And I think that's really caused you know, a lot of growth from the sports betting. It wouldn't have been nearly as much if they didn't have those windows where you, where you, you know, had to go and register in person and being able to do it now just on your phone, huge difference maker. You know, Ted and I are in the, in the Carolinas, I'm in Charlotte and he's a little closer to the Durham Raleigh area. So, you know, we have, we have two choices. We can either drive over into, uh, into the one tribal casino over in, uh, out, out in the mountains, uh, or we could just make a friendly wager of a beer. Uh, but then, you know, who knows when we're going to be in the same place and able to collect. So kind of tough. I, I, Ted, when we get off here, I'm going to collect. I'm going to need your credit card and a social security number, and we'll yeah. see if we can change this. I'm always happy to take your money <laughs> and have a beer with you, Bill. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this week. John Lombardo, Ted Keith, thanks so much. Right, Thank thanks, you, Bill. Bill. Thanks, John. Thanks, Ted. First look is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a fan of our podcast, subscribe on your mobile device to have First Look delivered right to your phone every Monday morning. Now, we turn to executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor. Abe? Thanks, Bill. Good to talk to everybody again on First Look. I'm Abe Madcor. Four things I'm keeping an eye on. First, if you didn't hear our interview with the investors of Angel City in last week's Game Changers conference that we also put on our website, check it out. I think Angel City FC, which is set to launch in the NWSL in 2022, has a very interesting story. 50 bold-faced name, big celebrity investors from the world of technology, media, sports, entertainment, startups. These people all think big. Now, yes, could 50 partners make for some interesting conversations? Are there a lot of cooks potentially in the kitchen? Sure, things could go sideways, but if they're able to stay aligned, I really think this organization could be something special. 
I'm particularly impressed, of course, by Natalie Portman's engagement. She's been making the media rounds all over the place, talking about the brand, talking about their plans. Julie Ehrman, Kara Nortman all come from startup technology worlds. And Alexis Ohanian, of course, the co-founder of Reddit, unbelievable conversation I had with him about two weeks ago where he talked about using the best practices from today's startups and applying them to launching a sports franchise. Very interesting insight. And of course, for him, similar to Reddit, it's all about building community and you build community one by one by one. And also we've seen that community build be successful in many soccer markets. I'm thinking LAFC. I'm particularly thinking of Seattle Sounders, Minnesota United. They've all done to build community. So that's a story I'm watching. Story two, Daryl Morey in Philadelphia. I find this to be fascinating because Josh Harris, David Blitzer have been criticized by Philadelphia and basketball media for not having a plan, for being too micro-engaged in player personnel. Well, now they bring Daryl Morey to work with Elton Brand, to work with Scott O'Neill. That's a strong executive team. They're big thinkers. They use data and analytics. And so it'll be very, very fun to watch how that team meshes and what sensibilities Daryl Morey brings to Philadelphia. Staying with the NBA, story three I'm watching, how do the NBA and the NBPA resolve any disagreements or differences and get a plan in place to return for the 2020-2021 season? We've talked about how Adam Silver and management are thinking about starting the season as early as December 22nd. Players obviously want to start a little later. They're looking at Martin Luther King Day mid-January. How do they resolve those differences. Late last week, they were close to figuring out an overall figure on basketball-related income and a cap figure. Now it's all about when do they agree on restarting the season. In addition, as John Lombardo reported this week, I think it's very interesting how the NBA is being very innovative in what sponsorship inventory they are opening up, not just on the floor sponsorship inventory, but they're easing restrictions on hard alcohol, casino and sports betting, and also they're opening up a lot lot of digital programming and content assets that teams can sell around. How much new revenue this will bring in, it's undetermined, but boy, they are really opening up many areas of inventory for teams to derive some new revenue streams. And finally, the fourth story I'm watching, MLB as it heads into its postseason. Yes, MLB's finale in the World Series was overshadowed by Justin Turner and his positive COVID case, but what baseball did to complete its season can't be overlooked. A great accomplishment by Rob Manfred and the union and the players to all work together after a really bumpy start with outbreaks, of course, with the Miami Marlins and the Cardinals. But now they head into an offseason with a lot of questions. What will this free agent market be like? That's going to be something I'm going to watch very, very closely. And of course, they have a little bit of time to figure out the start of their season, but not a lot of time. And I talked to a number of uh, baseball team presidents over the last couple of weeks, and boy, the lost figures that these teams are telling me, north of 120, some as high as $150 million in losses for this year, that can't be overstated. So how does baseball navigate its offseason? Certainly a story I'm keeping an eye on. So Bill, those are four stories I'm keeping a very close eye on. I hope everybody has a great week. I'm Abe Madcore. I look forward to talking to you next week on First Look. Over to you, Bill. Thanks, Abe. That's going to do it for this week. For Abe Madcore, John Lombardo, Ted Keith, and our producer, Chris Mason, I'm Bill King, and this has been First Look. <laughs>